As a believer, reading God's Word is a critical part of your daily spiritual journey. And because it's so important, we've created a unique new resource to help you immerse yourself in biblical truth and open your eyes to all God's Word has for you. It's a free PDF download called The Word One-to-One that takes you on a guided journey through John chapter one. With biblical text and short commentary, each page provides insights that will strengthen your faith in an easy to read guided format. There's truly no other resource like this. Download your free PDF copy today at premierinsight.org forward slash resources. That's premierinsight.org forward slash resources. C.S. Lewis Podcast with Alistair McGrath. Hello and welcome back to Season 4 of the C.S. Lewis Podcast with me, Justin Brawley, hosting this season of the show with Alistair McGrath back in the hot seat answering my questions. Uh, thanks to Ballet Fever, who left this review on Apple Podcasts, says, Fabulous learning. I have trouble reading now because of cancer affecting my eyes, and it's wonderful to have a podcast which explains the essential thinking in Lewis's work. I try to listen to Lewis, but sometimes lose my way. Thank you so much for unravelling his theories in this pithy way. Thank you for that review coming from Australia. And if you want to rate and review us, it helps others to discover the podcast as well. So do do leave us a rating and a review if you can. Today with Alistair, we're beginning a new conversation on C.S. Lewis, transhumanism and technology. Lewis predicted a lot of the ways in which technology could become a master rather than the servant of humans. Uh, so we're going to be looking at that on today's program. Hope you enjoy it. And for more from the show, you can visit our show page, cslewispodcast.com. And if you want to support us into 2022 from anywhere in the world, you can find links as well with today's podcast. Hope you enjoy today's conversation. Welcome back to this week's edition of the podcast. Always great to be joined by Alistair McGrath. Justin Barley sitting in for Ruth Jackson once again. And we're going to be talking over the next couple of episodes, Alistair, about Lewis and what is sometimes called transhumanism or, or technology, the mastery, if you like, of the human body and uh, the human future in, in many ways. This is something I, I think Lewis was aware of in his day and, and in some ways has reached new heights in our day as well. Um, and we might talk a little bit in this regard about, again, the abolition of man, um, the science fiction trilogy and, and other things. Um, when it comes generally to technology, Alistair, how, how are you with technology? Are, are you someone who is pretty up to date? Uh, do you struggle a bit with the latest sort of innovations in technology? I depend on technology, but I don't really know how it works and I find it difficult to use. So I'm really someone who is um, out of out of place in this very technological world, I'm afraid. I mean, I, I think it's really helpful. I, I master certain technologies and, and software because I have to. But I have to say I'm always aware that uh, everyone else is about 10 years ahead of me. I mean, obviously, you, you were in your early life as a, as a biochemist and so on, um, had to engage, I'm sure, with a lot of, you know, the, the laboratory sort of equipment and side of things. I, I mean, uh, do, do you still feel like you, you're abreast of current um, biotechnical sort of um, discoveries and, and advances and that sort of thing? 
No, I, th- I think cha- things have changed enormously. I mean, back in 1976, I remember our laboratory got a computer. It was very, very <laughs> exciting. It had one kilobyte of memory. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> and programming that was very exciting. Um, but uh, I, th- I think the answer is things have just spiraled. They, they really have developed very, very significantly. And I think I am very aware of the issues that this raises and very aware also of just how dependent I have become upon technology. Um, and, uh, for example, I, I find it now quite hard to write by mm. hand, you know, because I'm so used to mm. writing um, on the keyboard. But I think I think Lewis does really um, help us to ask some very good questions about these kind of things. Well, let, let's turn to Lewis. What what was his approach to to technology? Was he a bit of a Luddite? Um, was he was he open to, you know, the, the technological advancements of his day? Well, no, he wasn't. Um, I mean, the classic example of this is that Lewis and the typewriter. Um, Lewis, actually, to be fair to him, he, he couldn't type. He had a kind of defect in his thumbs, which meant he couldn't operate a keyboard. And that meant, in effect, all his works were written out by hand. And it was very, very interesting because, in effect, what Lewis said was that this piece of technology might be okay for some people, but if you were a serious scholar like himself, it was a distraction. And he made this point, which I think is very interesting. He said, you know, if you are writing something serious, like a novel, then the constant noise of the keyboard, the clacking, will stop you hearing what the words sound like. And for Lewis, you judged a poem or an essay by the way it sounded in your head. So Lewis actually had, had, a, had a rationale for his dislike of technology, but he didn't um, uh, drive a car. Um, he only traveled by air during the last couple of years of his life. You know, he really was someone who in effect relied on old fashioned technology, by which I mean a fountain pen. Yes. <laughs> was I mean, did he even, I don't know, use the phone much? Um, was he given to sort of even that kind of level? I mean, obviously, in his day, it wasn't a given that everyone owned a home phone or anything like that. Did, did Lewis have one? Uh, this, the, Lewis had a phone at the Kilns, um, and his brother, in fact, who then lived there, was the person who answered the phone, and mainly because he wanted to protect C.S. Lewis against some very strange callers. And the story told, which I, I, I'm told is, is absolutely true, which is that Warney, Lewis's brother, um, when, when he got a phone call from someone um, who he didn't, who thought was mad or didn't like very much, he would say, hello, this is the Oxford Sewage Works. Can I help you? <laughs> very good. And just, just to, to round this off, um, TV, I mean, obviously, Lewis had a wireless, I'm sure, as, as most people did in that day, and, and I'm sure would, would listen to it from time to time. Um, was did TV figure ever, you know, was, was was it around, you know, by the time that, you know, Lewis died, I think, in 1963. So I suppose people would have, you know, certainly started to have black and white TVs in their homes by that time. This, the technology had arrived. Lewis wasn't really into that sort of thing. I think that uh, one of the things I often wonder is what would C.S. Lewis do, given the um, importance of digital technology in our own age, making... Um, you know, visual presentations of things much more accessible and much easier to do. I think Lewis might well have risen to that challenge. As it stands, he operates within a framework in which he does not think of movies, he does not think of 
television. He thinks in terms of writing books. Mm. And that really is what he believes mm. he does well. And he doesn't really um, move outside that. Whereas someone like Dorothy L. Sayers, of course, um, who um, wrote some very good detective novels, um, felt she had to move into this new medium. And so she wrote radio plays for the BBC. Mm. And, and they actually were quite successful. But Lewis never really did that kind of thing. Though, though of course, obviously, the, the Mere Christianity was based on his, his radio um, speeches for the BBC. Um, did, did he ever do anything beyond that, those wartime addresses that, that he did for radio? Well, there were one or two things, but I think we have to say that really um, the wartime lectures were simply Lewis speaking into a microphone and they were talks he had written. And I think that looking at his correspondence, I think that the, the real challenge Lewis saw himself facing was the word limit. In effect, he said, they've given me, you know, mm. 15 minutes, mm. that's mm. Uh, what, 1800 words, I've got to do what I can in that space. And I think that that was actually quite a challenge for him because Lewis um, was quite an expansive writer, as I'm sure you will know. And so having to write to a definite limit was really quite a challenge. Well, let, let's turn from the general sort of techno technologies that Lewis did or didn't interact with to to the specific sort of issues around transhumanism. Now, now let's just define this word. What what? How would you define the word transhumanism, Alistair? Well, it is used quite a lot. I think that um, at one level, it means something like the enhancement of the human condition by developing technologies that increase our lifespan and our cognitive abilities. So if you like, it's, it's technology focused. But it's also, I think, about a broader vision of human nature, which is that we are at we are not a fixed species. We are, we are a species with the capacity to develop ourselves. And therefore, in effect, we're able to change ourselves. And it's a classic example of here's how we understand that we got here. Now we understand the theory, we can use the theory to change things and improve things. If you like, it's not simply about saying we can make things better. It's very much about taking charge of human evolution and directing it in new ways, ways in which we will live longer and have much higher uh, processing powers. So if you like, it, it is about changing the nature of humanity. It's not simply about giving us computers or other things like that. It's about actually changing our identity. So we le leave behind what we are at the moment and move to a different kind of being, a, a transhuman, if you like. Mm. So there's a deeper philosophy embedded within it, which is basically about taking control of the evolutionary process so we can, in effect, make ourselves into more intelligent and healthy people. Arguably, you know, humans have been doing that all the time over the centuries. Every time you put on a pair of glasses to correct your vision, you're, you're doing something to sort of Im improve your body in a way that, that it, under natural conditions it wouldn't be able to. Um, but but what, what, are you, what do you see as kind of the, the sharper end of this, if you like, in our day? What, what would be some examples you would give of, of say, the kinds of technologies that... that come under this umbrella of of going in the direction let's say of transhumanism alistair it's an interesting question um because for example you, you use the analogy of a pair of glasses okay so i use a pair of glasses does that mean my children automatically wear glasses because i did the point is can you transmit to future generations the technology that's made you live longer 
Um, in other words, it becomes part of you. And I think that the vision of transhumanism is not simply about providing us with technological assistance, which enables us to live longer, but actually changing us so that we are able to pass on these changes to those who come after us. So I think there is a deeper philosophy underlying this. What kind of things would you, would you think of, I don't know, gene editing or that sort of thing? Is that the kind of direction you're thinking of when you think of a, about that kind of... I think that there, there are a number of things where, in effect, you are, you are altering um, who we are genetically so that can be transferred to the next generation. And I think, for me, one of the most interesting things about transhumanism is this feeling that there are limits to our present rationalities, our ability to think, and those are actually causing some of the problems that we are facing. If we could, in effect, have a um, deeper, richer, fuller way of thinking, that would abolish these problems in the future. So if you like, it's about, in effect, developing an enhanced understanding of human reason, which will equip us to face up to the challenges that we now face. And that, to me, is one of the most interesting questions because it raises this whole issue of if you are going to change the way in which human beings think, well, who's in charge of that process and what dangers does that raise? Mm. Yes, it's not it's not a neutral thing, is it, that somebody at the end of the day has to be making decisions about, yes, or at which direction we turn effectively humans in. Now, today, you know, we live with an increasing awareness of technology and the way it impacts humans um you know we're we're doing this on a technological platform that's great there's there's lots of advantages as we know increases in robotics ai genetic modification as i've said a lot of these things are known obviously in lewis's day but but coming back to lewis in what way did he anticipate the way that we would come to increasingly master our environment and even our own bodies in this way what what sort of things did lewis write in this sort of area and what sort of possible problems did did he foresee well i think lewis talks about some of the concerns he has about this in the abolition of man and also in uh, that hideous strength uh, one of the um three science fiction um uh, books he wrote and i think that lewis is very much aware of this because in the post-war period particularly in britain there was growing realization that part of the the nazi agenda was in effect to somehow change human nature through selective breeding so that in effect you would naturally be a nazi um, and, and there'd be a lot of um fiction written about this a lot of tv programs some films even the boys from brazil and you, you can think about this and lewis was really wondering you know where is this going to take us is isn't this really about the remolding the refashioning of human beings by those who have agendas in doing so. I think that's one of the important points to really to bring out here, that um, as you were saying a moment ago, um, this idea of the enhancement of humanity is about the change of humanity. And I was talking to a, 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 someone who specialises in artificial intelligence about a month ago, and he was telling me that you could, in effect, um, look at various ways of developing artificial intelligence, and you could tell from these proposals something about the people who developed them. In other words, these are not neutral. They are, in effect, human visions of what we ought to be like, which are coming from very specific political or religious or anti-religious positions who, in effect, see the um, alteration of your ways of thinking as a way of bringing about the kind of human beings they want to see. It is a form of 
engineering. And that's one of the reasons why I and so many people are actually worried about this. And I'm not at all surprised that Lewis foresaw some of these difficulties in his own day. Yeah, just just remind us how that comes out in that hideous strength. Um, it's been a little while since I've read the book, I must admit. Um, and, and so, but as I seem to remember, there is a sort of shadowy organization operating that is seeking essentially to sort of re-engineer humans at, at, at some level. Um, I mean, t- remind me of the story and, and, and how Lewis sort of prefigured potentially, you know, some of the issues in our day around around genetic engineering, social engineering and so on. It's a complex story and it has multiple levels, you might expect. It's all about um, um, an organisation, a nice organisation, which on the surface looks very benign. And as um, as the story unfolds, it becomes rather darker, rather dystopian. And you begin to realise there are rather more sinister things going on here. And I, I couldn't possibly summarize this story, but to tease out some themes that are really important to us. Number one, uh, Lewis is simply saying, look, is scientific advance quite as neutral and benign as we think it is? Now, again, we might say, well, look, a lot of scientific advance is really good. Think of the, the, the vaccination issue, that, that these are things where we, we believe scientists are trying to help us. And that's wonderful. But Lewis is saying, look, you have to realize that um, a lot depends on the moral caliber of the people who are doing this. What if they are doing things which have more sinister agendas? Are we really quite as clear as we need to about this? And then the, the question which really is left um, suspended in midair, if you like, which is if you try to take control of the process of evolution, Will the process, in effect, take control of you? In other words, can, can you, will it progress to a point where you can't stop it? And that, to me, is something that really is very, very important for any discussion about um, uh, genetic transformations, AI, which is, are we initiating changes in our nature as human beings, which we will not be able to reverse if we discover it takes us in a bad direction. And obviously, you know, am I being alarmist? Am I being realistic? I, I don't know. But I think it's a very fair question to put on the table for discussion. And that's what Lewis is doing. I mean, to some extent, the transhumanist project could be argued is, is about liberating us to some extent from the, uh, the shackles or the limitations, let's say, of human bodies, of being embodied creatures. Um, now, for some people, that's that's something like uh you know living in a digital sphere you know our consciousness being uploaded you know that's the latest sort of sci-fi scenarios isn't it um and uh and even what we're doing you know these days on social media is is a, is a form of that we're increasingly living our lives in a digital space rather than in a physical space with each other arguably um to, what would Lewis's response to that kind of uh, directionality be and um you know and ultimately of course you know he believed in a incarnation in in a god who became human um didn't just visit us in some you know ethereal digital sphere but but in in human reality what what would how does that all play into to that kind of aspect of transhumanism well i think it does raise for me two very interesting questions here's the first of them the first builds on precisely the point you've just made we we are embodied creatures now I have a mind, or at least something I call a mind, but it's part of me as a body. And when I die as a body, my mind's going to die as well. 
Um, and what I see transhumanism doing, in effect, is being inattentive to this idea of embodiment. Because if you think about how human beings relate to each other, you know, we, we look at each other's faces. We, we see patterns of delight, you know, distrust, um, disapproval. You know, we read people. We relate to people as embodied creatures. You know, think about how human love works, how relationships work. And my concern is that transhumanism, in effect, seems to, in effect, extract part of our identity um, and uh, say this is this is the whole identity and for me i think that there's a real danger here that it, it it simply is inattentive to the importance of physical embodiment and cultural embeddedness whereas those are actually very important to thinking about who we are and that is why the idea of the incarnation is so important it's about not christianity as an idea but christianity as a life-changing reality in which God becomes one of us to enable us to become like God. And that's a very important point. But my second concern is, I think, uh, really quite important, and that is really um, where this is taking us. And I think that um, we, one of the issues is, are we in effect um, in danger of being manipulated in some way. And of course, you might think of The Matrix, the film, which is picking up on a theme from the writings of Plato. You know, mm. Is this the real world or are we kind of way trapped in some kind of um, scientifically generated simulacrum, a sort of a false reality from which we cannot break free until we realize where we are? I think one of my concerns is that at the moment, I don't see that as being a big problem. But if we move in a transhumanist direction. I think there's a real concern here that those who are in control of things will actually create a virtual reality in which we are imprisoned. And so for me, I, I have some very awkward questions I want to raise about the, you know, who is going to control hmm. this? Because the danger is this is about a relatively few people controlling an awful lot of people. And that's certainly something that C.S. Lewis anticipated. Yes, I, I mean, and, and I'm, you know, my brain's popping with examples at this point because we, we're so aware in, in recent years, especially of the kind of control and influence exerted on whole populations by social media. You know, there's been all these, you know, investigations in Parliament about the, the, the role of things like Cambridge Analytica in the way that may have skewed elections, um, you know, both here in the United States. And uh, and, and we, we are, in a sense, more at the mercy than we ever have been, aren't we, of, well, people that we don't know or and a very small number of people in that way um, through through. The, and as we've said, you know, there are, of course, great benefits to social media and the kinds of technology that we use all the time. But at the same time, yes, I think we're only just beginning to realize just how much power can be exerted by relatively few people over over whole populations. And that for you was prefigured to some extent by by Lewis. Lewis is emphasizing the importance of control. And we find this in the abolition of man. We find it in the science fiction trilogy, particularly hideous strength. And the point he's making really is it's not necessarily just telling people certain things. It's about not letting them hear about other things. Mm. So you can, in effect, um, influence people disproportionately by simply not telling lies, but simply 
making sure they don't get to hear about certain things. So in effect, their view of the world is shifted, is changed by what you do allow them to hear. Well, we're going to take a break there and pick up this conversation on C.S. Lewis, transhumanism and technology again next week with Alistair. And we'll even talk about Mark Zuckerberg and Facebook as part of that. Just how much control does big tech wield over our lives and what would Lewis make of it all? For more from the show, do visit our show page. That's cslewispodcast.com. And any support you can give the show in 2022 makes a huge difference as well. You can find giving links with today's podcast as well. See you next time. Thank you.